Good to see all of you here this morning. It truly is. I am humbled that um, from God's goodness of how He brings people together for His glory and His honor and that we can share in the communion that we have with one another our rest in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen. What a great truth and a great privilege that is. <clears throat> You'll have to bear with me today. Um, I go good for a while, but then I just start hacking. So it's good that you're not in the front rows. <clears throat> but if there's a long one, you better jump. <laughs> I have been sick this week. Uh, so bad that I think it was Tuesday I wasn't even at work, which is not normal. Um, but as of Wednesday night, I started breaking the fever, and I'm over the sick sickness, but it's still congested up there. How many understand what I'm talking about? And so I don't believe I'm contagious, but I'm not a doctor. So I'm not guaranteeing that. but We are in Romans chapter 16 this morning. We have been in Romans for a little over two years. Oh, sorry, five years. See, Andrew keeps me on my toes with those numbers. Those, you know, it, I'm so glad we're not all alike. Amen. I mean... Wow, and, and I appreciate it. So we've been in it for a while, and this morning we are in the last three verses, 25, 26, and 27 is where we're at. And it's interesting that although this is the final summary of the gospel of God's righteousness found in verses 25 through 27, it really is what it's doing when it started in Romans chapter 1, it talked about helping people grow in the faith and encouraging people with gifts, those types of things. And now he's saying, here it is. We're going to go through it all again. I'm not going to go through it all again. <laughs> we can't do five years in one 45-minute service. But I can tell you that he is concluding like he started and saying, listen, I have given you the gifts. What? The theology found in verses or chapter 3 through <coughs> 11. Chapter 3 through 11, I've given you all that theology now. You have that. That should encourage you that someday Israel will have, will be a kingdom of priests again. Amen. It will happen. That God did call you and, and predestine you and, and on that Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9. Just all those truths should just excite us. Praise God. And he's going to do that in the last three verses of chapter 16 at the conclusion of this book. The Bible says, Now to the one who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept silent for past ages, but has now been made manifest and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God for the purpose of the obedience of faith to all nations. So why was this given? Right there's the purpose. For the purpose of the obedience of faith to all nations. May there be glory forever to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, amen. The topics that received emphasis in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, which Andrew just read, summons the reader's attention again in chapter 16. Therefore, they function as an inclusion from the contents of the letter. It's all filled up. This is the summation of it. This is what it's all about. Paul begins by emphasizing that God, and God alone, by the way, is able to strengthen. A sociologist, a psychologist, a health and welfare gospel guy, a 
clown are not going to encourage you like God can encourage you. Amen. They might give you that warm fuzzies. Maybe. That lasts all but three seconds. Or for some of you clowns, they'll give you those scary worries, right? Whatever the case may be, nobody can encourage you like the Word of God can. Nothing can. That's why all the psychologists and, the, and all, the social, all these people that use basically emotions to get things to happen fall flat on their face because the only thing that's worthwhile is God's Word. Period. Paul begins emphasizing that God is able to strengthen believers. The first question out of our mouth is, strengthen us from what? In one, in four words, is able to strengthen. In those four words, he just threw every health and welfare gospel out the window. It is not that we didn't become Christians because we're going to have a great, easy, calm, rich life. Amen? That is not guaranteed. And the opposite is guaranteed. How do we know that? Because why in the world would God need to strengthen us? Why does anybody need to be strengthened? It's without saying, right? Well, because we know there are going to be trials. We know there are going to be temptations. We know there's going to be problems within our families and problems within our own hearts. So we need, God is able to strengthen us and has the ability, gives us the ability to resist temptations from His Word. Glorify God through trials, through His Word. And ultimately, to not forsake and abandon the Christian faith. There's a lot of professing Christians out there that have washed their hands and walked out of a church for the last time. Because I've had enough. I got saved because I wanted to enjoy God and live with Him forever in heaven is what they would say. And this ain't heaven, and this ain't fun. And I'm going to live my life to the fullest now because that's why God put me here and fooey with God. Let me ask you, is that person ever saved? All they were were self-motivated reasons. And that's maybe why they prayed a prayer and think they're saved. Now, I can't judge whether they are or not. All I can say is your fruit is telling me not, therefore I'm going to treat you like you're unsaved. And I'm going to give you the gospel. And I'm going to pray that you come to the saving knowledge of Christ. The reality is, God is able to strengthen us in our temptations that are coming. In the trials that are coming or are in. And even the forsaking. Because true believers do what? True believers do prevail. They do. True believers prevail. Bible says, for I long to see you. Then my, I may, this is the beginning of the book. I long to see you so I can show you the similarities. That's why I'm going through this. For I long to see you that, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. That you may be established. There's the word. I want you to be established. But not because I'm some great guy. But because God's a great God. Amen? God is a great God. And His words are strengthening. I want, I want to see you so I can give you a spiritual gift. Something from God. That you will be established, you will be strengthened. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, but both yours and mine. In other words, I want all of us to be strong Christians and being there for one another, helping one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, helping one another see their faults, strengthening them through their 
faults. How many understand that? All of that, one another. That's what Paul's talking about. Through the Word of God. Notice. Notice there's not some guy with teeth saying, you can do this. Come on. He's not there. It's not saying, come on, man. Get with it. You got this. You can do this. Look, I'll give you a participation trophy. Self-esteem. You are low on it. Let me help you with that. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. There is no exhortation to do any of those things. It does say, be strong in the faith. Our strength comes only from our God. It's not within ourselves. It's from His Word. Why the faith? God will give them the strength to stand and He will complete a good work in which He has started. Say, where did you get that? That sounds so like reformed almost. No, it's called Bible. And here's what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you, what does that mean? He saved you. Who saved you? He saved you. You did not save yourself. Amen. You can't save yourself. He saved you. And the one that saved you will keep you, will perfect you until the day of Jesus Christ. Is that a promise by God? Amen it is. So this passage of Scripture that says He's able to strengthen you, let me ask you, He certainly strengthened you at the moment of salvation, did He not? Absolutely. He imparted His... (coughs) 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 He imputed His righteousness upon you. You are in God's eyes perfect without sin. And we know that's not true. But that's what God did for us. And we realize that. And it's like, God has forgiven my sins. This is a great God. Why should I not love Him? What's hindering me? And then we start building this relationship with Him. We start being saturated in the text of the Word. Just like you guys. And I, I, I tell you what, my mind is weird. I started... An illustration. I had all the guys raise their hand if they had a uh, if they were married to their, you know, whatever. I can't even remember now. To their wives, and they, you know, dated their wives. But it wasn't. Hi, I see you. You're pretty. I like you. Okay, good. See ya. You'll not see me now anymore. But you're mine. That doesn't. Ha- Does that ever happen? Well, should it ever happen? <laughs> When you have affections for your wife or your husband, you love them, you care for them, you serve them, you help grow them, you help each other, and you're with one another. Now, do you need a break once in a while? Yeah. Why is that? Because we're human. You know what? God's not. We don't ever need a break from Him. He is perfect in everything. The reason I'm talking about this is the Bible says the strength promise here is from, according to the text, the Pauline Gospel. According to my Gospel is what it says. That word according is very important. And that's why I brought this boyfriend-girlfriend things up and now marriage up because according... This strength began from, it started at the moment of salvation. And the gospel continues to strengthen through one's life. It's not, I got the ticket and I'm ready to go. That is so untrue. You have been given strength 
by salvation, and you will continue to be strengthened by God in His Word, through His Word, until you die. According to this, that's exactly what it means. The strengthening began at salvation, and it continues. That's what according has the idea of. True believers understand that strength came through the gospel when we, when we had nowhere to turn. Isn't that true? I'm in sin. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell for eternity. But God. God did what? He sent His Son to die in your place to be Brutally beaten, thrown on a cross, speared, so that your sin can be ultimately forgiven. That's what he did. When we realize that, we're like, do you remember uh, a man named John Bunyan? And what did he write? Pilgrim's Progress. And his whole life, walking, what did he have on his back? His burdens. And he knelt at the cross of Christ, and what happened? Snip, snip, gone. The burdens were lifted. What a great truth. What a great truth. And that's exactly what happened at salvation. The problem is, we forget that's what happened at salvation, and so during our life, we keep doing all these sins, and the burden gets put back on there. How many understand? Our ministry is hurt because of sin. Our our attitudes are bad because of sin, and these sins keep accumulating. We continue, we must continue to repent. Amen. Now, that does not, I'm I'm saying, why do we want to repent? Because we're hurting God, it displeases Him, and we love Him. Not because it's keeping our salvation. That is so far from the truth. See, we understand that strength came through the gospel when we had nowhere to turn. He raised us up. Amen. He raised us up. The Bible says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For by it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you see the similarities now between the first chapter and the last? I'm reading John 1, 6, or Romans 1.16. But how does the gospel continue to strengthen us? The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Imagine that. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by what? Faith. Faith. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 is clear about this. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy And find grace to help in time of need. What a great passage of Scripture. Wow. Do you know, the cannabis store is open and flooded with people. That is only going to last but a moment if they survive. God's Word can be opened every hour, every day, every minute. And that truth is can truly change a life. I'll never forget, two weeks ago, I was with our daughter. Mrs. Graff and I were with our daughter for two days. Woo-hoo. And we got to go see all the mountains. Not all of them, but some of the mountains. Diablo. I got pictures of Diablo. Unbelievable. Mount Diablo. Anywhere, anyways. Going from... The waterfall down to Diablo, we went through a town called Boulder. How many have ever heard of Boulder, Colorado? Boulder, Colorado is a college 
yuppie, different kind of town. I have always heard rumors I never understood. When I drove into Boulder, immediately I was face to face with the drudgery of this life. There was a park. And in this park, there was a man that had just fallen, and I watched him. He had dreads all the way down to the back of his knee. All the way down there. And he was dancing like a fairy. And then he collapsed. You know what he was doing? He was high. He was out of his mind. He was relying on some wicked crap to set him free from the world's problems. And all he got is worse. And that, listen, we were there two days. We were, we saw two incidences like this. There's a lady up in the Red Rocks. I've been in the mountains all my life. That's all she ever said. I've been in the mountains all my life. Are you going to throw me out? I mean, just going on and on. What was wrong? Why are you talking to me? I, I, there's no one else here. What are you talking to me for? She's higher than a kite. Trying to relieve her problems. It's irrelevant what the government did about that. I mean, that's, they've made it legal. We can talk about that some other time, not from the pulpit. Reality is, this can't, I, the reason I bring this up is that sign in Grand Rapids is right in front of my shop to advertise for this new stuff that the governor has allowed in our state. And the reality is, that's not going to fix anything. And if you keep shutting people, Christians' mouths, it's going to get worse. Problem is, most of the time it's not the government that's shutting people's mouths, it's our own selves. We've got to stop being like Jonah. Obviously, Believers need strength every day of our lives. We are aliens in a foreign land. We are kingdom of priests, and everyone knows what most of the world thinks of priests. Regardless, trials will come. He is there. We will be mistreated. He is there. Temptation awaits. He is there. Hammers find fingers. He is there, right? Emotions find new ways of hindering imaging Christ. He is there. Battles will be lost. He is there. We will be persecuted. He is there. Death will overcome us, but He is there. Amen? It's Him. It's God. It's His Word. Romans 8 tells us of His continuing love and strength. For us in the world, we have been called, the world that we have been called to serve, to love, and proclaim the gospel. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, help me out. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against the elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Will tribulation? No. Will distress? Will persecution? I hear faint nose. This should be such a joy for you. Will famine? Will nakedness? Will peril? Will sword? None of them, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all things, in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen! Amen and amen. And we should just start singing amen oh, 50 times. I don't care. It's so important. We act as if we're, oh, poor us. Man, great us. We're the son of the king that makes you princes and princesses. Praise God for that. The phrase, the next phrase in the text, preaching of Jesus Christ, is not referring to the historical Jesus, but the gospel about Jesus the Messiah. Uh, if you don't, you, you need to understand this. Everybody has this, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How many remember that? And, and there's some good in that, but we've got to be careful with that. Number one, we're not Jesus. There's that. Number two, he lived in a very different time in a very specific vocation that he was called to do. You haven't been called to that. We've been called to image Him, absolutely. If you want to know more about that, I invite you to... You're going to have to give me... Mrs. Gaiman, I know you will be proud to do this. Give me Peter's blog post. What is that? Sojourners.com Peter... Oh, this has got two of them. Okay, PeterGaiman.com And he's got a whole blog just on... Be careful about what would Jesus do type things. How many understand that? Because that's a whole message. You, we all need to be aware of that. But this is not that. This is not because Jesus did, I did. That's not what he's saying. Preach what Jesus preached. It's preach about what Jesus did. That's what it's talking about. How many get that? Jesus came and died on the cross for you and for me. That's what it's talking about. <coughs> so Why? Why did Jesus come to the cross and die on the cross? Well, that's the second section of Romans. We've just talked about the earlier chapters, one, chapter 1 specifically. But chapters 3 all the way through chapter 9, there was so much there. The apostle delineates virtually every blessing that the gospel brings to the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ, those he has established. Here's a partial list I, this is not original with me. And frankly, I got it from John MacArthur. It's not original with John MacArthur. It's original with Paul. Okay? So here they are. Here they are. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ. Amen? True biblical righteousness. You want to be righteous? Be like Christ. Be saved. Be a child of His. Righteousness comes by faith, only by faith in Christ. We are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. God gave us a gift. That gift was His only begotten Son. People don't even want to give you a penny. But God gives you His Son. Oh, what love. Oh, what love. I'll be honest with you. When I go to McDonald's, I, I'm, I'm quite selfish. Mrs. Graff, what would you like? Ah, uh, whatever. I don't really care. Well, do you want this? Do you want this? How many have a problem with that with your wives? That's a normal thing. I, it's just a normal thing. And, and I understand the heart, and I'm not picking on them. But one thing, I, I just, ooh. Do you want a meal? The only reason I go to McDonald's, and it's probably once every year, Hardly ever. I love their french fries. How many think McDonald's have the best french fries? If, if they had a McDonald's french fries, a Hardy's hamburger, and something else, it would be a great place, but they don't. Regardless, I always buy a meal with french fries because I enjoy them. Oh, those french fries look good. You have your meal. <laughs> you have your meal. I gave you an opportunity, and you chose... Where are my french fries? 
all I'm trying to say is we are a selfish people. That's selfish, by the way. But it's a okay selfishness. How many understand this, though? The principle I'm trying to explain. We don't even want to share our french fries, but God gives us His Son. That should just smack us in the face. And that should encourage every one of us. Righteousness will be reckoned to those who believe in Him, God, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Chapter 4, verse 24. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. We have peace with God. Folks, the only reason there's cannabis is because there's no peace with God. They're trying to replace Him with some kind of drug. I can escape my problems. No, you're making them worse. Same with the woke movement. You're making it worse. You're not helping anybody. I can't imagine the suicides are going to keep continuing to escalate because as these young people get older and realize that is not what I am and there's nothing I can do to change this now, what reason do I have to live? But we don't have that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. If we had died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ. Matter of fact, there's a sense in Scripture, I don't remember the passage it's at, but we did die with Christ. And now raised in newness of life. Figuratively speaking, right? But the reality is true. What an encouragement that is. The wages, and then you get to your salvation. Well, the wages of sin is death. But the three free gift of God is eternal life. Now, we've got to be careful, and I, I, I keep seeing this a lot, and I, I, and I think it's dead wrong. It's eternal life. It's eternal life with God that we look forward to. If you're looking for, forward to a Bahamas in the sky, you're in the wrong place, my friend. That is not, if you're looking for a valley fair on steroids in the clouds, that is not what heaven is. And it's not that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's that we're going to spend eternity with God. There's a difference. We have been, by the way, still, who else would you want to be around? We're going to share a kingdom with God. How awesome is that? The gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 Romans 7.6 We have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound. Released from the law. There is not a person in here who is going 56 on Highway 169, sees a police officer, and instantly either lets off the gas or puts on the brake. Why? Because you're not released from that law. And so, it, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get in trouble, right? The reality is, in a sense, Christ has totally fulfilled the law in your stead. It's all, all taken care of. And now it's not, I have to. Now it's, why wouldn't I? How many understand that? Now is I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain. I don't want to be an adulterer against my wife, which is a picture of Christ and His church. I don't want to, and it goes on and on and on. Amen? It's a life change within, and it's freedom, and it's total peace.
We have no idea what total peace is. We think America had the greatest peace in the world, and they might have at one time. But there's so much wicked corruption. It's unbelievable. Tainted with sin. Can't wait for Christ, the true king, to reign. And no corruption? The world has never seen no corruption. Never seen it. It will someday. Millennial kingdom. We have been released from the law, having died to that which we have bound, so that we may serve in newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Here's a good one in chapter 8, verse 9. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Amen? What a blessing to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not only indwelt, but we are also led by the Holy Spirit. Verse, eight, verse 14 of verse chapter 8. <coughs> we have the Spirit's witness that we are God's children. Chapter 8 and verse 16. We are literally God's children. This idea that all humanity is God's children is a lie. God's children are those whom He loves. The believers. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. What are, what are, the, what are fruits of the Spirit? True love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, patience, meekness. We are interceded for by the Spirit in verse 26, and Christ makes intercession for us. We cannot, and this is one we just read, we cannot be separated from the love of God. Do we have it pretty good with God? There's no better place to be. This morning, part of what A.J. read, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised, and here's where it gets a little interesting, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. That's Romans 1, 1 through 3. Romans 16, 25 and 26 says, According to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for the long ages past. How many see the similarities? Almost word for word. It's certainly saying the same thing. <coughs> but now is manifested and by, by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to the obedience of faith. So in chapter 1, Paul says that this gospel was prophesied and promised, but in chapter 16, the gospel was a mystery and now manifested. Do you see that? It's very important, very enlightening. How can the gospel be both hidden and prophesied, concealed beforehand and anticipated in Scripture? The gospel that establishes us and that proclaims Jesus Christ also reveals God's divine mystery which has been kept secret for long ages. This mystery, what is a mystery? It refers to something hidden in former times, but, not, but now made known. Specifically, it refers to a part of God's truth that was not revealed or was only partially revealed in the Old Testament. In other words, the gospel was veiled in the Old Testament. How many understand veiled? You can't see it for sure. You know there's something there, but you, you only get glimpses of it and parts of it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the term in a general way, speaking of the apostles and the New Testament prophets, such as himself, Apollos and Peter, as stewards of the mysteries of God. So somehow these preachers, these apostles, then started revealing the mystery that was veiled in the Old Testament. How many understand that? It's exactly what it's talking about. 
they were bringing new revelation hidden from the ages past. Now, MacArthur again gives us a list of many biblical mysteries, but these are all, uh, Paul is part of them, and um, Mark, <clears throat> there are other revelators, John being another one. There are many mysteries in the Bible. How many know that there are many mysteries in the Bible? So there's the mysteries of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. There's the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy. There's the mystery of the rapture in 1 Corinthians. There's the mystery of the kingdom of God. There's the mystery of Christ's will. And by the way, how many would love to know Christ's will for our life? How many would like to know that? We're going to start talking about that in a couple of weeks in our uh, Sunday morning services. CE hours. CE hour in adults. The mystery of God's will. The, the mystery of Christ. Christ was a mystery. He was not fully understood and explained. The mystery of Christ and the church is a mystery. The mystery of the gospel. The mystery of Christ in believers. The mystery of faith. How many say that's a lot of mysteries? It is. There are several other mysteries mentioned in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1, verse 20, and chapter 10, and chapter 17. The one most common mystery that actually Romans, I think, to be honest with you, and I, okay, for all you theologian gurus, which I hope every one of you become if you're not one already. But here's the deal. Guys use this passage to, share, to prove that see, covenant theology is correct. But in reality, what is happening is this. It was a mystery about the Gentiles and the Jews in the Old Testament. How many would agree? The Jews were the peoples of God. The peoples. Chosen by whom? God. Who did he choose? Abraham. You know, there wasn't someone that was just good enough to be God's chosen people. God literally chose those people, the Jews, and grew them. He did he not. The mystery is that in Romans chapter 9 through 11, we find God's not done with Israel. Amen. He very clearly unveils this mystery and says, I know in the Old Testament it's a mystery. That's why we have covenant theologians and dispensational theologians. That's the reason. It's not perfectly understood in the Old Testament. But when we get see the New Testament and some of the unveiling of it, it's like, oh, now I get it. And this is what Paul says. He says, listen, the Jews were set aside. Romans chapter 11. So that the Gentiles could be saved. Those who were not a people could be a people of God. So God darkened the hearts and the minds of the Jews, if you will, for the salvation of the Gentiles. But then he goes on and says, don't you dare get arrogant, Gentiles. Because you are saved only to bring what? the Jews, to salvation. And if your salvation today is so great, is your salvation today great? Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yes! If it's so great, here's what he says, imagine what theirs is going to be like. And literally, he unpacks what we believe is dispensationalism, just beautifully. The mystery that is talked about is this mystery that the New Testament relates to God's providing salvation for Gentiles as well as for Jews. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 3, to be specific that the Gentiles and fellow heirs and follow, fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration. Do you know what that word administration is? Dispensationalism. It's, exa- it's economies. This administration of the mysteries from which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. In other words, God's ultimate plan of redemption has always included Gentiles in every way, just as much as it included the Jews. Amen? Praise God for that. His specially chosen people under the old covenant, the Jews. This is why the sovereign election of God must be a true doctrine. He literally chose Abraham and created his people of God the Jews, just as Romans 9 states, so that it not, does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. What does your salvation depend on? It's God and His mercy. You say, well, you can't, how dare you say that? I didn't say that. Paul did in the inspired word. If you've got a problem with that, deal with him. So it doesn't depend on the man's will and the man who works, but on God who has mercy. And it goes on. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, Pharaoh. God had a vocation for Pharaoh. It wasn't to be a good guy. But he had a calling to him. For this very reason, purpose, I raised you up. To demonstrate my power in you. That my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. They were the superpower and God, <laughs> God literally took their slaves away but didn't really take them. He said, Pharaoh, this is what you're going to do. You're going to pay your slaves. That means your whole country, in other words, are going to die. You're going to pay those slaves to leave and start another country. Right. Well, it happened. Just like God planned it. So, in this we see that God uses the unsaved and He uses the saved. Does He not? Is that not true? Not only does He not use, just use them, He has a plan for both of them. A useful vocation for both of them. Now, in case you didn't get the point here, Paul then makes it abundantly clear. So if it's not man's will, and it's not man's works that bring him salvation, then what is it? Verse 18 says, So then, he has mercy on whom he desires. And he hardens whom he desires. So you tell me who's in charge here. It's not man. It's God and God alone. That is why here at Northland we are dispensational. And if one truly understands God's choosing of His peoples of God, then we must conclude that God chose Israel to be His people as well as He chose the church to be His people. Dispensationalism and God's sovereign choosing are both inseparable. But practically speaking, that doesn't happen. People detest God's choosing. But they enjoy the dispensationalism because they're out of here and they don't have to deal with the bad stuff. You see, it's all about them. This is, this is the whole text right here. It's not about us. It's about Him. Period. That's it. It's all about Him and His love, His sovereignty, His justice, His will. Even Jesus Himself got the memo. Not my will, but Thine be done. So, in a nutshell, I'm just giving you a heads up. 
young people and maybe older all the way up to 60 if you still haven't found yourself yet. If you understand what I'm saying? Here's the deal. God's will for every one of our lives is to simply be obedient to what He says. That's all it is. Be obedient. Faithfully obedient to God is where God's will is. You will find great pleasure in that, I can tell you. Remember 1 John 4, verse 19, we love Him because He what? Okay, I'll say it again because I didn't give you a heads up enough time. We love Him because He first loved us. Through Jesus Christ, believing Gentiles are as fully saved, as fully children of God, partakers of the divine kingdom, as are believing Jews. The mystery that now is manifested has been predicted in veiled words by the scripture of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to what? Obedience. Listen, did we, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, was that obedience and faith? Yes or no? Absolutely. When we obey Him now, is that obedience and faith? Yes or no? Absolutely. You know, you thought we grew up and, and didn't have to obey anybody anymore. Well, yes, listen, I'm telling you, if you have that attitude with Christ, you're toast. We are built, created, made and recreated, saved to be obedient to Him. And in that obedience is the greatest joy you will ever experience in your entire life. But it must be an obedience to Christ. So how was the Gospel mysteriously foretold? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Ooh, that's novel to that time of year, or that time of, of history. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wow, that's new. Instead of the external Ten Commandments and all the rest of the laws, it's going to be written on the heart. What does that even mean? Well, when the Holy Spirit works in your heart, you understand how that means. I shall give them one heart and shall put a new spirit within them. I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Frankly, one can go all the way back to the fall in the garden when it was prophesied that Satan would bruise the seed of the woman's heel which was fulfilled at the cross when Jesus died on the cross. The later in Genesis 12, he told Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed by you. What? Some Babylonian pagan polytheist was going to bless the whole world. He did. Because God got a hold of his heart and he believed. Amen? These and many more prophecies concerning the gospel were alluded to in the Old Testament, but not fully understood. Matter of fact, prophets themselves did not understand it, and they wrote about it. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, and following, we'll get to another point here. As to this salvation, this gospel, the prophets and prophes who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. They searched and they searched and did not understand totally. Even to God's inspired prophets under the Old Covenant, the full meaning of the prophecies was a mystery to them. They didn't understand that. Not only did the prophets not understand, but secondly, we find in chapter or verse 12 of that same 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, angels did not fully know. Are you kidding me? Not only did the prophets who wrote it not understand the gospel, the angels did not understand it. It was revealed according to the text. 
to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things, this salvation thing, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, the prophets, sent from him, things in which the angels look into. Why did they look into it? They had no idea what the gospel meant. No idea. Clearly, neither the prophets nor the angels knew completely what the gospel looked like, yet they were faithfully obedient to the calling of God. They even though they didn't understand the gospel, they just had faith and believed God. Amen. How many know all the intricacies of the um, how many angels can be put on the head of a pin? Or uh, uh, can God make something so great he can't lift it? We know all that, right? We have all the answers to that. No. We don't know all of God's word like we should. Amen? But we need to obey what we know from his word. These guys didn't know it all either, but they faithfully obeyed and God used them in a mighty way. The same can be, must be true concerning us as we live in the strength of God without the full knowledge of God, yet He expects and throughout Scripture He urges us to simply be faithfully obedient in what we do know. Amen. Amen and amen. Therefore, the Bible says, prepare your minds for action. How are you going to do that without the Word of God? You can't. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We know what that means. Somewhat. Just obey Him. Through Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, God predicted, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. A passage that Paul and Barnabas quoted before a crowd of both Gentiles and Jews in Antioch and Pisidia. The same message must be understood today. We struggle to know much of God and of His Word. And no one knows the whole of God and the whole of His Word. But just like the first people of God, Israel, the other peoples of God, the church, are to be the light to this world so that others may know the Gospel, i.e., that is why we are preaching through, next through Jonah and Nineveh. What is real, let me ask you, what is the real difference between Jonah and Nineveh and the church and the world? What's the real difference? Okay, his name was Jonah. Is there anybody's name Jonah here? Okay, there's the difference. But the principle's the same. The church has grown a bunch of Jonas. Jonah ran away from the ministry to Nineveh. Jonah was mad when the heathen repented. Jonah just wanted to be away from all that God called him to so he could enjoy his life apart from the nonsense. That is the truth that Paul emphasizes in the third major section of Romans chapter 9 through 16. God has made known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, not from among the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people my people. We now are the people of God, a peoples of God. Amen. Articles are important. Just like the Jews were a people. The church is a people of God. 
In Romans chapter 9, verse 23, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not my beloved, beloved. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him who is not dis- will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all. Paul spoke specifically of the mystery that a partial hardening was happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. There's a future for Israel. There's a future for Israel. And there is a decline for the Gentiles. I'll give you a hint. I believe we're declining just like the Jews did. They kept God to themselves. Just like we are. In 12, 3 through 8, Paul commands all believers, both Jews and Gentiles, to minister to each other with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. In chapter 13, he focuses on the responsibility of all believers to respect governmental authorities and to behave properly before the world. In chapter 14, he emphasizes responsibility of believers not to offend one another's consciences. In chapter 15, he reminds his readers again God's extension of saving grace to both Jews and Gentiles. In chapter 16, Paul's greeting, Jews and Gentiles alike reflect the personal conviction of their oneness in Jesus Christ. Finally, at the end, he says, to the only wise God. To the only wise God. Why does he say wise God? One author states it this way, only an infinitely wise mind could have designed and accomplished such a plan of redemption. (laughs) Amen. In his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, and we've already read this, but I think it's so important because it fits so well with this text. To me, the very least of all the saints, I've been given this. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Are you living in the unfathomable riches of Christ. I can guarantee you, most of us who listened any kind of news at all, accidentally or on purpose, whatever that is, the unfathomable riches of Christ trumps every single word that comes out of a news person's mouth. Did you hear that? And yet, and yet, we might have spent twice, three times, four times, maybe a hundred times more time listening to some talking head on some perverted uh, news station and didn't fill our minds with those unfathomable riches of God. And we wonder why we're grumpy. Right? Paul was told to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ, and he did in Romans. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, and he did in Romans chapter 9 through 11, which for ages was hidden in all the Old Testament, who create, hidden in God, who created all, the, the, all things. Why? In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that was this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ saved you to obey him, to glorify him, and to be a total pain to the world. No. To be the joy of the world. Is this world lost their joy a long time ago? 
You have that joy. But they are going to have no idea unless you tell them about that joy. And the unfathomable riches Christ brings. It was through Jesus Christ that God supremely revealed not only His great grace, but also the wisdom in how He planned all this from before the foundation of the world. Do we serve an awesome sovereign God or what? I started this message, God is great. I, w- I was wrong. He's greater than great. He is sovereign. He is Lord. And He loves you. Let me ask you. Prove it. Prove that you know that. How many understand that? If Jesus is your God, if He is sovereign ruler, and He chooses to love you, Man, every one of our backs should be straight up confident because He's the one that strengthens us. Amen? It's the King of kings that strengthens us every day. But we have lulls. People say, well, we're only human. You're right. But we have some supernaturalness to us because of Him. Let's live like that. Live like God wants us to. Just be obedient to His will. Amen? That is Romans 16. That is all of Romans. We just went through a whole thing of it and didn't even realize it, right? Praise God for the book of Romans. It is fantastic. Live the book of Romans and this town will be a different town. It will be. Mr. Gaiman, can you close us a word of prayer, please? Please stand. I will dismiss us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time in the Word. Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for the life-changing ability of your word, I pray we would live what we know for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.